Hi and welcome to another unfiltered Agile conversation over bad internet. My name is Dion and this morning's recording was super early for me. Um, early for Sunday morning at least. Recorded here at 9 or just after 9 from Cape Town. And I was joined by very early riser, newcomer to the podcast, Justin Kortzer, an Agile coach and Scrum Master I got to know uh, last year. Uh, through Saxa. And uh, cool dude, cool beard, very cool beard. And <laughs> he has some very interesting ideas, very thought provoking ideas. One of them, uh, putting the customer first. Something uh, uh, you would think uh, we in the agile space would be doing on a daily basis. Apparently not. Apparently not. Anyways, uh, Give it a listen. Very interesting conversation. And there's a lot more that we could have talked about. Um, but uh, now I wanted to cap it off at an hour. And so if you want, and if Justin wants, we'll get back to the topic and we'll flesh it out even further. I think there's still a lot more that can be discussed here. Anyways, hope you enjoy the episode. Um, you can follow uh, Justin on Twitter. I'll put his... Um, handle in the uh, podcast episode summary and he also mentions it at the end of the podcast and uh, other than that i hope you have a nice day quick question last year at, at the saxa event you yes. you rocked up in, in, in a salmon colored suit what, what the fuck just happened that? <laughs> it's close to pink you don't need to call it salmon um <laughs> I just figured salmon is much better than pink, and uh, just uh... Yeah, yeah, true. I, I can embrace my pinkness. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I tried this new thing. I emceed the events, and I thought, okay, well, I can't rock up in in just a t-shirt like I normally would. And I thought, well, why why not a suit? And <laughs> I did two suits. I did the pink suit. I think on the on which day. On the one day I did the pink suit, and the other day I did the red suit, which was fun. <laughs> I'm just, I, I, I typically, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very, um, uh, what you call it, um, just out of touch when it comes to clothes in general, um, especially, especially buying suits. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't want to know what. <laughs> What yeah, the request uh, was, did you go to your place and say, listen, you guys have suits, the guys like, yeah, sure, have you got one in pink? <laughs> yeah, so I I don't know either. I, I, that's the only two suits I own. It's a, I, have a, I have a Christmas one as well, like a European Christmas themed one with like little snowmen and things on it. Oh, so that was fun. Oh, that was that was so funny when I saw you that suit. They're like, "What the hell?" And what's what's really interesting is the reactions I get because I travel from home to work and I take public <laughs> transport with that on. So that's sometimes very fun. Um, so whenever, when, uh, just again, whenever anybody asks you about the suit, did you always give them the same response, or did you just try and like make something up every time? Um, I, I try to play it off and say like it's a normal suit. Like people ask me what's up with my suit. It's well, it's a suit. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's actually quite interesting as well. One, one actually feels different when, when you wear something like that, sort of like a costume party as well, which I find you, you tend to behave differently. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, Just purely because you're, Kind of your identity is sort of hidden or something like that. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's an experiment for me as well, stepping stepping out of my comfort zone and I would have, something new. I would have tried to come up with a different response every time. But again, my my type of humor is very dark. Um, so I would try to, I would every now and again see if I can say something that's like really awkward. Um <laughs> Like someone, like, like someone said, oh, the suit, like a really good pink suit. So, so, uh, so, 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 what, uh, what's up with this pink suit? You know, and this is, 
And then my 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 grandma gave it to me as she was dying. <laughs> <laughs> and you just yeah. just look all the joy just drained from their face. <laughs> um, we actually we actually um, when I was visiting my sister a couple of years ago, just before she got married, yeah, um, she and her husband stays in Pretoria. Um, and uh, so I was visiting. I was basically meeting all of her friends for the first time, and the rest of obviously now extended family. And um, her her husband um, and I are uh, we have known each other a little bit before, and we come on the same wavelength, humor wise. He actually tends to take it, you know, a very inappropriate joke and just take it one step further, which is one of the things I absolutely love about him. And um, so again, you know, granny situation. So we were all around this table, this coffee, this coffee restaurant, some at oh, some other evening. And everybody's like laughing it up and stuff. And we keep telling all these jokes, you know. So we keep telling jokes, and you know, oh, it's my grandma's this and my grandma's that. Because my grandma was really was awesome, you know. So when I was yeah. younger, it's like she started to learn. She took a she took a book out of the library. Um, I think it was for Q Basic. To write a little program application. Of course, when she heard that I was going to go into programming, she said, okay, cool, I'm going to write yeah. a little programming cool. application. She showed me this. And then she used to like write stories and she taught me stuff about astronomy and all that stuff. It was really cool. And yeah, so we would like, it's like, well, my granny does this and my granny does this. Everybody's laughing and everything. And, and just out of nowhere, I'm like, yeah, my grandma's dead now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> the entire table just went dead silent. Like you could hear a pin drop. And nice. my sister, uh, then fiance and myself just suddenly burst out laughing, obviously, seeing all the, <laughs> the humor and all of this. Anyways, um, enough about dead grandmas, I suppose. Uh, yep. Welcome to, um, to the podcast. Glad to have you Thank here. You. Um, Thank you. Uh, your name is, of course, Justin, Justin Kotzer. And I met you last year at two things. It was the Little Lean Coffees and the Coaching Circles last year. And and clearly at the Scrum Gathering in my pink suit. Yes, yes. <laughs> but that was just more like a sighting more than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> snowman. In a pink, pink suit. You... Um, Oh, so, so let me, uh, why don't you tell the, the, the five listeners that we have on, the, on this podcast sure. what, what you do for a living? Sure. Um, hi, Ma. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm an Agile coach. I work with currently a department and some teams in the department. And I really struggle sometimes to describe what an Agile coach does. And I, <laughs> I'm actually doing a talk at the end of the month in at the Saxo event in Cape Town, and that's what I hope to get answered as well. Like I want to, I want to hear what people say when they say, "Hey, I'm an agile coach." So what what I what I'm trying to now is try and do a very short sports analogy to say, you know, like the Springboks has a coach, and that person doesn't score the tries, but he he hopefully helps helps the team to perform better each time, even though they don't always perform better. I, I'm sort of that guy in a business sense. So I'm trying that. I, I've, <laughs> I've tried that. I've tried that sports analogy with a team like two weeks ago. I, I think I spoke about velocity and how to increase that and um, used a sport analogy of a golfer because a golfer can't ever score the perfect round of golf. You can always do something a little bit better. Mm. And that's sort of how a team can, e e even when the team is perfect, maybe they can do a little bit better. Mm. And I, I spoke about this big golfing analogy. So sometimes you find yourself using the wrong club or, whatever i'm not a pro golfer and the team looked at me and then i realized oh shit should i ask um <laughs> does anybody know what golf is? <laughs> and two people in the team didn't know golf so i, I was using this analogy and it just didn't land 
Taylor, uh, I suppose I'm a person trying to figure things out while I'm calling myself Agile Coach. Well, and I mean, people figuring it out as well. One of the previous topics as well, and it's something that's reoccurring during the episode so far, is that nothing is ever clearly defined. It is, it's always, there's like a general idea. There's obviously this guide that we follow, this uh, manifesto or set of principles. Um, but other than that, it's 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 free reign basically. You know, you um, and I was I was chatting with Stephen about this the other day as well. Is just how unprepared you know, your typical scrum master is after they you know do their certification, because all that it is is this is our scrum master. Off you go. <laughs> And now you deal with this team. Okay, so you can you can start teaching them Scrum and stuff, and then all of these interpersonal issues start cropping up, and you know conflict and how to build trust, and 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 so it's a whole it's a, the whole time is like a different set of skills that you need to learn. And I and I figure the 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 agile let's call it let's call it the natural path from you know, Scrum master to coach or whatever is for me very similar to that of senior developer to architect is um, the same way you you would engage and you would work with different teams from a scrum master point of view and get your experience and build your skill set like that from a developer point of view you work with different types of systems and you build your skill set like that and ultimately you know enough that you can you know start engineering systems from the ground up you know or no coaching teams potentially on mass or working with a large number of people or whatever. True. So I, I, I see the, to me, I'm throughout this podcast, when I speak about coaches or scrum masters, I, I use that sort of in the same way. Um, I, I see, I, I don't see a, a coach more senior as a scrum master to me it's it's sort of the same thing mm. if you look at the definition the scrum.org by ken and jeff's um, definition of what a scrum master does um, there's like three different aspects there's the the service to the development team the service to the product owner and the service to the organization mm. and if you if you read through that I don't see that an Agile coach ever does more than that. And I don't see a Scrum Master that should do less than that. Mm. So I, I think there's this, I don't like either term really, but there's the <laughs> sort of the, the seniorness in, oh, I'm just a Scrum Master. Oh, I'm an Agile coach. I'm, I'm better than you. So I, I don't really like that. I think there's sort of, if you look at the Shuari model, yeah. there's, there's different aspects. So I, I, I'm not great in certain things. And in that, I'm a, at a shoe stage where mm. I really just follow the rules and just see what happens. And in other things, I'm at a restage where I'm really good. And yeah, yeah. people learn from me. And I think we should think about that and not... Not say, oh, uh, I'm a scrum master, um, but I completely agree with you. I think the the two day training that scrum masters goes on isn't great. I think <laughs> it's it, it's a good intro, and I think that's useful. Um, and I'm afraid some company sells it as you do this and you're a scrum master. You yeah. do this and you get you the certificate. You are now fully equipped. But I mean, yes. but I mean again, that's why I, I draw this, par this parallel between uh, development and, and, and scrum master because, and, and I'm sure you can maybe do this in almost any industry, um, maybe not the medical industry. <laughs> but, but from a programming point of view, you know, when I, was, when I started off um, way back when, finished up in tech, now you think you have all this knowledge and actually you didn't learn anything because the industry works completely different. And every course you go on, again, just teaches you this is how the tool set works and then you need to figure out how to use it in you know, these complex you know, situations. 
Um, but while we're talking about the whole Scrum Master thing, the actual topic that um, we started talking about last week is, yeah. is so for example, I went on my, on my uh, Scrum Master certification and product owner certification, right? And they show, there's part of the certification where they show this, um, these three intersecting diagrams or circles. You, you most likely know what I'm talking about. So the one is the product owner, the scrum master, and the team. And yes. the scrum master is responsible for, for making sure there's, no, there's constant feedback in this particular circle. When it comes to product, your, your development team wants to do the thing right, and then your product owner wants to do the right thing, right? Yeah, that's that's right. I have the right. I have it the right way around. I'm not. I can't remember. But yeah, and 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 you mentioned something last week, and I think it's I think it's something worth worth chatting about again. And that is the natural, the natural, um, you know, conflict that exists, and why, why, or why? I'm I'm seeing my wife. Typical scrum masters today don't engage that more between. The, the scrum master and the product owner and you and you introduced this with the form of a question and that is where does the customer fit into all of this because typically it is your your product owner that is that is wanting to you know, deliver um, that is getting feedback from the customer engaged from the customer so I want to I want X for example the team would then go and build that thing and the scrum master would obviously facilitate communication between them but the Scrum Master ultimately, typically now in the industry, would take side with the team, right? Because Scrum Master is supposed to protect the team. Yep. But, and this is the thing that intrigued me yesterday, on uh, last week at least, when we had this conversation, is in that action, surely then the Scrum Master is not considering the customer. And how would that, how would that action potentially differ if the Scrum Master and not just Scrum Master, but the team as well, start considering the customer. And what is what is the difference or what is the difference between the way that typical teams operate now and the way teams operate when they consider the customer? Yeah, true. Um, some context, why I started thinking about it yes. is, uh, so, so this is an untested idea, and the five listeners can perhaps say, oh, "Well, no, this, this goes nowhere, and we're we're talking about shit here." So, I, I was thinking around firstly the aspect of somewhere during my agile journey, I, I found the phrase, "You need to model the behavior," mm-hmm. right? Um, so you model the right behavior and hopefully people will follow because as a scrum master, as a coach, you, you have no, you have no authority, really. You, you lead by influence. Yeah. So how do you lead by influence? Typically by modeling good behavior. Um, and then I wondered, how do you model good behavior to, to ignite that passion for customers? So how, how do you, while looking at how well the team socializes with each other and how well they talk to each other and measure the laughter in the room and all those great things, how do, how do you actually get, well, folks, we need to talk, to talk to the customer. We need to see if we're, if we're doing the right thing. And... Th- then I started thinking there's this, in com- some companies I've been before, there's this friction between team and <clears throat> between team and product owner and the scrum master where the, the scrum master really thinks, okay, well, I have my own agenda with the team and I want them to do this. And oh, the, the product owner is this really nasty person that doesn't want the team to do this. And it's just a mess. And <laughs> you you drew or you figuratively drew this three circles where you said the product owners wanting the team to do the right thing, the team wants to do it right. What was the thing you said about the scrum master? The scrum master, and I've actually 
I've actually got the um, the PDF open over here. Fast sure. feedback. Custom, fast feedback. Scrum Master wants to wants to facilitate and enable fast feedback. So, okay. So, and if you draw draw a little Venn diagram, there's like now feedback doing it right and doing the right thing. And yeah. to me, that's that's almost too simple. And <laughs> if if you draw it actually as a Venn diagram, I, I think that's that's where it becomes interesting. So when there's overlap mm. in in all domains, so there's actually overlap in in doing the right thing into the um, development team and into the scrum master and when yeah. you start looking at it as like a little venn diagram where everything intersects it, it says that sort of the product owner that's a person responsible the end of the day doing the right thing mm. and However, that means that the Scrum Master and the development team can actually help figure out what that right thing is, help yeah. figure out wh where are we going in the right direction. Well, I mean, typically, and this is what my common belief has always been up until now, and this is basically how and I remember we function as development teams, and that is you need to have that, that constant engagement so sometimes you get solutions that's thought up um, based on the idea or the perception that the customer at that time has of for example a certain technology or whatever and so it is not and and typically the now if we talk about oh no waterfall air quotes you know typically um, that engagement wouldn't exist right so you would get a specification that thing would contain everything and then you need to code that and typically the issue with that was well yeah know, the devs would go through it and say well we've identified some mistakes in here or even worse we've identified stuff that won't work right no 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 but we have to code according to the spec that's what we paid for and that's what we deliver and this is obviously what agile is trying to address it is to have that feedback where i mean the, the teams would go back to the, the, the product owner and the customer and say, listen, here's a problem. That they play a role in the design of the solution and their feedback there. Um, yet you still get a lot of organizations which you know, don't operate like that. And even organizations that would potentially call themselves agile. Here's the work, you guys, you guys do the work. Um, how have you encountered this and and uh, how what's your idea of of working around it or breaking through so, that wall yeah so sort of g going on on my story it's so then i came to a team where we actually didn't have a full-time product owner where uh we identified these things as things aren't being done how some of the things are being done and some aren't being done and how can we how can we actually help help the company help the team etc etc so we started making what a product owner does very clear so make it clear on the board um almost like little tasks uh, we need to speak to this customer we sp need to speak to this customer um we need to work on vision things going forward we need to get roadmaps things sorted we need to attend some product for a meeting um and by making all that clear we realized okay well product owner actually does many things and product owner is great and then we actually started embracing the how can we help each other mm. so the three circles which i sort of want to no it won't work in these three circles yeah, <laughs> um uh, these three circles to get it closer to each other yeah um so i already introduced the idea of it being a venn diagram mm. but make it make it even closer so there's 
everyone caring about the same thing. Mm. Um, Unlock that potential of a a scrum author to really understand the product owner side. Mm. So when in in scrum author training in the two day course, Mm. you don't, I don't think there's one section on how to help a product owner groom a backlog, how to how to really uncover sort of release plans. How do you work with continuous integration and deployments and it, things? It's funny it, it's uh, funny that you mentioned that because um, yeah. when I did my product owner certification, I learned more yes. about because from a CSM point of view, they just say yes. assist the product owner, but they don't say how. When you do this yes. product owner certification, you finally that whole other side of the you know, fence opens up to you. And so, okay, cool. Yes. So this is how I can assist the product owner. So I totally agree. Yes. Yeah. So, so and and that's what the product owners are learning, and not what the scrum masters are learning. Yeah. So product owner realizes, okay, well, hell, oh, I need to do these things. Um, how do I do these things? And then you're telling the scrum masters, oh, you need to facilitate meetings, you need to draw nice pictures, Mm -hmm. you need to see that the team sometimes goes out after work and do something together. Mm. And that's a a dysfunction. Mm. Um, I I think if you can shift shift that focus to, uh, why are we here? We're here for for the customer at the end of the day. Yes, we do what, what the product owner wants us to do. And then you get that um, saying, oh, the product owner is a single ringable neck. Um, <laughs> I think that's, that's unfair. I, I think it, it's on all of us. Yeah. All of us are sort of accountable at the end of the day for what we've done. Oh, definitely, yeah. And, and the, looking at it, it's not black and white saying, oh, product owner tells us what the right thing is to do. It's, maybe it's not. And then think about think about your customers. Think yeah. about how how's the customers working. So I'm working in teams. I've worked in teams that you don't talk to the customer. There's retrospectives happening where you bitch and moan about the product product department mm. about the marketing department about, oh, business is going in the wrong direction. Oh, I'm waiting for this again. Oh, we built this. And I've heard that just so many times. And when I've heard that back then it was, okay, well, let's get it out and let's get back to work. And typically you don't want to do retrospectives about things you have no control over. Yeah, yeah. However, do you really not have any control over over your customers? Are you really just just slaves to the customer? Um, I don't think you should be. So um, I, the idea isn't completely fleshed out, but I, I see sort of high-performing teams, so bringing in high-performing teams into this conversation. Yeah. And what is, what is a high-performing team? And hopefully that's a team that, that really optimizes for flow that really optimizes for customer interaction and by doing so um you get all the other nice stuff where it's uh, this laughter there's they trust each other they respect each other yeah but if you really optimize your process for for flow that that means okay well if there's a bottleneck on the customer side, we need to really work with the customer. We really need to sit down with the customer, really need to understand it and not be detached, not be this team with sort of this proxy product owner because the real product owner is too busy to to sit with the team or Mm, to mm. give instructions for for the team. And yeah, I don't have it figured out. This is sort of a half fleshed out idea, which I'm, <laughs> which I'm trying to still figure out. And I think there's something in it. Also, uh, you actually, when we started the conversation, you actually said, looking at the principles of the the 12 principles of the Agile Manifesto, the two first pr- principles talks directly about customers. About the customer, yeah. 
And yeah. and I didn't see any focus on it. I didn't see what what does it mean? What does it mean for for coaches to be how can I be more customer focused? Yeah, I think the so I must say the one for for everything, you know, so we are work we haven't gotten the agile thing right yet, if I if I have to be honest. Um we've come a long way though. Um but things tend to move very slowly in like large corporate companies. Um but the one thing that we are very fortunate is that our customers are typically our business owners. And the the amount of access we have to those guys is amazing. So um whenever a new piece of work would come along um, that the team either won't understand the motivation for, or you know they won't, <clears throat> they won't. Maybe then this might be some um, specifications or something requirements that's that's unclear. You know, we can actually set up a, a session with you know, with our business owners, and um, we're in two different buildings, and they help it, and they're more than happy to come over to our building to spend time to sit and you know, discuss things, which. Again, it's not a luxury that one typically has sure. at a lot of companies, which is really awesome. Um, so so I, I wonder, sorry, I want to yeah. um, interrupt you there. I, I also wonder just about that small aspect. It's always like business owners. It's like a BA coming to the team and tell, telling the team what to do. There's this one one overlord saying, okay, well, this is how we're going to use it. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, that's... I don't think that's the customer. I don't think you have three teams in your large corporate serving one person. I think there's something wrong if there's if three teams are serving one person or one customer at the end of the day. Yeah, when, when, when I talk about customer, you're building some systems. You're either building it for some internal things, your infrastructure team building yeah, it for, yeah. for other parts of the business, your you're building some financial system for one part of your business, etc. And talking to that one person, I don't think is enough. Yeah, so so just typically how it works there by us is your team obviously consists of your you no know, BAs and everything as well. Um, and you no know, one of the one of the dysfunctions you know, as as you mentioned it is um, <clears throat> again, you no know, BAs who typically the work would typically come in from the the business owners. So, for example, we all have a couple of business owners that's in charge of a different set of products um, that spans multiple countries. Um, so one would be like, for example, uh, account payments and electricity and stuff. Another person would be like a variable airtime and all of those kind of things, right? But it can be for multiple countries. So typically, the... The yes, the BA does introduce work and stuff to the team, but um, those those business owners, um, apart from in-store customers, those business owners are the guys that we are delivering the software for. And the the one thing that we can enjoy is the fact that um, you know the team the team does have access and they have the freedom to weigh into the solution to actually engage with those business owners directly and say listen we don't agree with this this might this might not work right and the guys are open for suggestion you know so sometimes you get a situation where it is one guy and says this has to happen because of x y and z sometimes it's a case of okay well we're open to a new ideas what you guys what you guys suggest but what you're saying is, is you know, very true, and that is the, I think the, the idea that I'm getting is it's not just that engagement. Being, being customer-centric in a high-performance team touches on a lot of things. And I know we talked about this a lot last week as well. Not, yeah. only, not only how you engage for requirements but your your process flow that you that you know that you modify and adjust for for delivery you know the way that you go about delivering you know, that software um in fact the, your whole day-to-day potentially can be impacted 
and yeah. optimized to be customer focused. How how do you think it can look? So you're talking about sort of high level. Can you give me a concrete example? Well, not at the moment. No. <laughs> it's early morning, and my brain might wake up just now. <laughs> it is. So, so something something um, that we've tried is embeddings as well. So it's moving a team member into the customer space. So it's it's perhaps for a week or two, perhaps longer. Um, some long longer term embeds can be six weeks even, um, where the person actually goes to the customer's team. And g- so if it's an internal customer, like you were saying, you have internal customers, um, to go and sit with this customer, to feel the pain, to yeah. work, to actually work with the system that you're building, mm. to, yes, you don't have all that knowledge that the customer has, but typically when, when you build systems for the customer, typically I found when I was still a developer, I really understood what the customer does. And I felt like I really could do sort of, I understand what, what needs to be done. So you don't need that much onboarding to join that kind of team. And what's quite fun is you realize small pain points. So things, a part of a system that you don't ever even think about just by using a daily, like really using it, not just a, a, let's just do a quick demo. Oh, that's not working perfect, but let's leave it. Um, having, having that contact, having one of your team members inside the team and feeding back daily to the team saying, Hey, I, I've really noticed that it's like the first time I need to run this, run this job and just the extra click is so annoying and we can just, <laughs> we can just fix that. It's yeah. literally a five minute job and we can, we can make the customer life so much better. I, I've seldomly been, been in companies where, where people really practice. Oh yes, we care about the customer. Oh yes, we, we put customer first, yeah. but so- sometimes we really don't. So ju- just, that <laughs> yeah. cu- just that customer first thing reminds me of a team that I'm working with that they have, many teams do um, sort of the goalie role or the um, points of critical escalation role, that sort of on-call role for mm. systems that are supporting and that person's supposed to shield the team as well with, okay, well, ad hoc requests, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. So what we've started putting into the sort of the vocabulary of the team or introducing as a concept to the team was, we're actually going to take that role away or sort of rebrand that role. Mm. Instead of goalie being, oh, I'm going to catch everything and guard the team. Mm. we changed that role. We're actually laughing about the title, um, sort of the customer success manager, because people <laughs> like being managers. And also, <laughs> also just really putting emphasis on the customer. It, it's not a role to guard the, guard the team from random ops requests. It's a role to really embrace the customer, to really embrace that feedback that you can get from the customer. Yeah. And, and to not be upset, to be interrupted. It's, yes, our customers are using our products. Yes, they're giving us good feedback. How, how, can, we, how can we really le- leverage that? So then sort of the conversations that you have in your retrospective that starts to change. It's not, oh, this customer keeps on bugging me. It's, can't they just stop? Can't they just do this to... Hey, our customers are bugging us. How can we help? How can yeah. we? So, so a, a simple change like that, I found really, really different. So 
Um, since we've done that, we've done that a couple of weeks ago, and even just the normal conversations that you pick up while sitting with the team and listening is the, the team members really start speaking about, oh, this customer is struggling with this, how can we help? Versus um, in the past, the conversation was, um, should we have like fucking six six goalie requests and it's not even lunch yet? Um, so just sh- sort of the subtle mind shift yeah. that that could really just help focus on customer and what that really means. Yeah, and I guess the other um, the other side effect of it, I suppose, um, which potentially uh, which potentially a good thing as well is okay. So you're serving the customer this way. Um, but that ultimately, you know, chows into your time. So how do we make sure that the remainder of our time is focused to what is really important? And I, not I want just, to shout out, take it to the team, take it to the team. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, so so I, I think that that kind of thinking... Uh, that, that what you just said it triggered something in me. It's yeah. um, how how can we optimize for this? That's a great thought, and is it the right thought? Is it is it the best thing for the team? And maybe it is. And I think the best people to answer that is the team. Yeah, I I, I think you really need to leverage the team in your sort of process changes in in your thinking process and yeah. and very important the product owner as well mm. and even the customers mm. get I, i'm i'm not going to use the word which i'm not going to use so i'm not even going to tell you which word i'm not going to use <laughs> get <laughs> get help from from everyone into this process because yeah. at the end of the day everyone should be on board it shouldn't be the customer shouldn't see look at you as a development team and it, it shouldn't be a drag for them to oh, fuck we need to ask them again and they take like three weeks to deliver yeah. something and yeah. it's so long and let, let's just not tell them about this because let, let's see if we can just work work out something we can we can employ rather employ like three people to do the job it's going to be a lot cheaper than asking for yeah well. yeah no, I mean, so yeah, it, embrace everyone's strengths. Embrace. I think that that's sort of a recurring, <clears throat> a recurring theme that I have on my side. It's really embrace the product and really embrace the team. Really embrace the customer because they're really smart people, mm-hmm. and you should, They often have a lot, a better understanding about what they do and what will work for them than what you have as a coach or as a scrum master thinking thinking about oh this process can be improved this way oh i read this blog i saw i saw this cool video we can do it differently yeah that's not always it 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 should really work for your organization yeah yeah i think i think that's that's it's very important (laughs) tidbit that you mentioned there is um again the development team shouldn't be a, a black box. It should be, it should all be open. We had a, um, we, I was, I was contracting a couple of years back at a large bank and, um, and we had a similar situation there, you know, departments fighting amongst each other. And we, we got a you know, scrum coach in to, you know, help sort things out. And, the the one of the first things he did was to have transparency when it comes to um, customer communication between the dev teams, and we we basically laid it out on the table. So listen, guys, this is this is what we typically do. This is what we can do. This is what we can't do. These are our limitations, and and that that no, that's it, and. And the moment these guys understood, okay, well, now they have better insight into the way we work and stuff, 
that completely changed the relationship and the engagement and the focus around the work that we did. Um, and just to give an example, so typically before that, you know, the guys would come, the customers would come down to the devs and engage them, you know, verbally or whatever. And we'd be like, oh, no, you're not, you're not supposed to do this. No, the, the, you're supposed to work through a scrum master. He's supposed to protect the team. Um, and, and it was like, no, no, but why? And da, 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 da. And then we explained, you no, know, the whole situation and our limitations and stuff and why we want to do certain things. Afterwards, they still engaged the guys directly, but the attitude was different, right? So they wouldn't come, they wouldn't come with, um, and they would sometimes come with new ideas or whatever. Um, and then, but they wouldn't just drop it off and then, and then walk away. They would sit there with the dev. Um, and I remember you know, times when you know, one of the guys would be sitting next to me and I'd say, well, okay, well, let's try this thing. And let's try it and see if that works. I could know that doesn't work. Let's try this other thing. Let's try this. And we sat there for half an hour, an hour, hour and a half until now he got what he wanted and he was happy. He's like, fine, cool. That's done. We can move on to the next thing. And, uh, and he'd you know, walk away, continue the rest of his day or whatever. Um, but I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, one thing going around, and it's the same thing there about as well, where your development team is, is a black box, and you engage the development team at these intervals, you know, on these occasions, you know, and then other than that, you know, that's it. But there is, if you want to truly be customer-focused, Number one, pointing back to that Venn diagram that you were talking about, it's a responsibility yeah. that everybody shares. That yes. includes, listen, if the team needs you, you need to be available. And the same goes for the team. If the, the customer needs you, we need to be accommodating. We need to be available. We need to be able to have an ear, be able to listen and, and, and you know, see what we can do. Yeah. Yeah, that that sounds awesome, and yeah, well, well done for <laughs> sitting with a customer and and getting feedback. What, one thing that I remember, also, what I wanted to mention around the customer feedback that you just talked about. Yeah, that quick feedback is really important. Yeah, and what I've seldomly seen, but what I have seen is when when the team really isn't seen as a black box they didn't see themselves as a black box because I think you were referring to customers sometimes see the teams as yeah. a black box. I yeah. think yeah. teams see themselves as black boxes sometimes as well. Yeah. Um, in, I want to test this theory in when you do planning. Yeah. Um, how, how often do you read through customer feedback? And how often does that determine what you're working on this sprint or this cycle or? Customer feedback that by us takes different shapes. Yes. Yes. So, <laughs> so, so, so we'll have customer feedback in the form of obviously the backlog. Um, we'll have. I'm talking about people. I'm not talking about. No, 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 no. I understand it. I'm, yes. I'm just painting the picture. Um, okay, yeah. It's very, it's very rarely that we'll have verbal, verbal feedback. So in our case, we've got okay. two, we've got two sets of customers, right? So we've got our, our in-business customers, which are our business owners, and then we've got the physical yes. customers, which are the people in the store. But typically, yes. the the teams are typically shielded from customers because there's a support team. That most that handles most of the customer queries, and if they are able to solve it, it gets escalated to the team. Um, from an in from an internal business point of view, um, unless it's something really important or big or um, no whatever, um, typically the only verbal feedback we'll have or only feedback we'll have from our customer is maybe. In a, in a in a mail form or whatever, in the form of a mail or something like that. But very rarely is the customer part of the planning session. Yeah. And 
So, so if it's not verbal, do you have written feedback? Do you have different feedback that's not just the product owner telling you, oh, um, Johan liked this? Well, well, okay. So, uh, off the so, sorry, I, I don't want no, 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 to dive no, no, no. too deep into your specific no, 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 situation. No, 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 no. So, so uh, what I forgot to mention is we obviously with you know, with the review sessions we have our our internal business, our customers um, there as well, and that's able okay. to that's able to give feedback. But the way that our solutions typically typically get built, unless it's something brand new, um, a lot of the stuff is built on an existing framework. So yes. as long as you've adhered to the upfront visual design of the solution, and obviously the solution works, the guys typically like, okay, cool, that's okay, that's ex that's what I expected. So that's awesome. Um, when it comes to new products, though, um, the engagement is 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 slightly different. Um, and they and there what we've done is for example we are busy with this new thing now for the past year and a half which is a mobile device um that you can do some uh, stuff on like uh, buy electricity and, and stuff like that and um and for that you know it was very tricky in the beginning because we didn't have an actual device <laughs> everything was off like virtual you know so you had data in a database you had like soap messages <laughs> Saying <laughs> stuffs going around, and the customers really couldn't couldn't visualize uh, what, what 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 is this? What does this mean? But the moment we got a device, then the real feedback started coming. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, well, this thing is a little slow, or this button is not so nice, or this and this and this and this. Um, and yeah, that'll that'll come into the planning session the next day. Yeah, cool. So you you gave a great example in terms of. Yep, sometimes we work really close to customers and sometimes we don't. My hypothesis is, I think, in teams that I've been working with, yeah. often we don't really look at customer feedback. Yeah. Um, often there is, similar to what you said, oh, we have a support team to keep all of the customer requests to themselves and not talk to the people that actually builds the software. Yeah. We have... have uh, really look at what the customers are saying yeah so if if you do like a something simple like a nps survey to your customers so net promoter score survey to hey would you recommend our products to your colleagues um if you're building internal thing or to your actual end customer mm. would you recommend our product to a friend or a family member um looking at that and asking for explicit feedback so hey what can we improve how can we do that that's really simple to do internally you can you don't need fancy software you can send a google form you can even just send an email saying hey we've identified you as customers um help us improve um on a meta level would you recommend us to a colleague and start tracking that that can be a once a month like a two-minute survey yeah. that hopefully people can look at and share their data with the team you look at, look at that actual customer feedback so you've mentioned things around some some of the old systems customers don't care about because there's guidelines already written and they just see if there's the front end looks the same and then they give their thumbs up that to me is really bad. Mm. That to me is not. That to me is not customer interaction. Yeah. That means, how do you even know the customer are using that? How do you know <laughs> that? How do you know that it's still still the most valuable thing to work on? Yeah. Something yeah. I. Really something I something I asked I ask daily at my standups. Um, so so the teams do their little three question things. And just before we adjourn, a, qu a question that I ask is, are we working on the right thing today? Mm. And not super often, but sometimes it happens that we, we stop and think, and are we really working on the right thing? Is it really right to work on that old thing mm. that 
sort of one or two people once in some department and they've been waiting for six months, so surely it's their time now. Mm. Versus, is it really the right thing to spend all of our energy on to work on today? If if we were the customer, what what would be the best thing to work on? Is it perhaps the best thing today to work on employ uh, work on bettering our deployment pipelines um how long is our build cycle taking mm. oh, shit it's taking three hours should should we rather spend the day not do any any product work but actually just work on just fixing that mm-hmm. and and then get back to it tomorrow really think daily about ask, ask explicitly are we working on the right thing today? You, and, yeah. And if you don't know, go and find out. Yeah. <laughs> you um, you actually got me thinking about something, and that is, um, you know, the um, one of the major differences that I've seen in 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 corporates where where large corporates where people and teams tend to be a bit more sheltered versus your typical startup company or IT house is the term of eating your own dog food. And then, you know, very rarely, as, uh, apart from in startup companies and IT houses, do teams get the opportunity to support their own software directly. And that, for me, is absolutely critical in, in shaping the way that you would typically approach, you know, your work and, you know, the amount of time or the quality that you put into your work and that type of stuff. If you, um, for example would think of a team that would just code stuff, build stuff, test their stuff, and then hand it over to a different team to then deploy it and maintain it as and obviously deal with any issues uh, uh, in, and that uh, against, for example, a small little team or whatever in an IT house that does everything. They write it, they deploy it, they maintain it, and they support it when it goes into production. Um, and they get di- that direct feedback, you know. And um, yeah, that, that's. Uh, <laughs> I think if there's one thing that's missing in terms of putting the customer first, you mentioned it as well. Now is is how we go about getting that feedback. If we get that feedback, and once we get that feedback, how do we incorporate it into our day to day? Yep. To help improve not only our product, the way we work, but also the way we work for the customer. Because ultimately, it is all about the customer. And we tend to forget that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It, it, is, it is all about the customer. And you're talking about these problems. So oh, it's only possible in a small small startup or an IT house or something. And in big corporates, it's that it doesn't work. Sure, maybe, maybe not. And I, I don't think anyone expects a coach to know that. I don't. Expe- I think anyone expects a coach to fix that. However, I think the people inside the situation knows what the problem is and how to solve it. Yeah. So even if you still have your dedicated support team and you can't get rid of them because you just can't, I think the people that works there can solve the problem if you put put them in the center of the problem and say, just make that problem visible. Yeah. Hey, this yeah. this problem, how can we solve it? And yeah. then start experimenting. Yeah, I think it's uh, at the bottom line comes back to that little Venn diagram, and that is when it comes to customer first. Everybody's involved. Everybody takes responsibility um, in order to, you know, get that right, in order to get the communication right, in order to get the feedback right. Um, and the reason why, you know, why, why that form for me is typically difficult in large organizations is with all these different layers of hierarchy that one typically has, which is why... Um, as far as my knowledge goes, in your large organizations, but that are that have the agile mindset, that the structures tend to be a lot more flattened, and where there are hierarchies, there's at least 
mechanisms put in place to make sure that there's constant communication and interaction and engagement and that type of stuff. But everybody needs to get involved. And I think I think that's that's if if we're gonna correct this in, in, in companies small or big, the, the first the first thing that we need to do is number one, recognize that listen, we don't always put the customer first. And secondly, as you said, engage everybody on how to solve that problem. Yep. People are smart. Yep. <laughs> Use what you have. <laughs> yeah. Justin, it's been fun, man. Yeah, cool. It's been fun. I, I still have lots of questions, but I think we can perhaps leave it for the next time or maybe maybe the five listeners can, <laughs> can help us answer some of these questions. Look, um, I'm always open to and uh, to a next time. You must just say when you're available. Um, cool. But you're like we never did. <laughs> and cool. and yeah, I think you know, I think this is definitely a conversation worth having again and just fleshing out a little bit more. I'd like to I'd like to find out more in terms of um, what you call it, how to go about, for example, getting everybody on the same playing field. You know. Practically, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, but I think this has been a first uh, good, a good uh, first stab at the topic. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Thanks. And yeah, it, it helped me as well. Um, <laughs> I figured lots of things out <laughs> as I'm still exploring. Cool, man. Cool, man. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, how you, would, um, you what, can what do you recommend on? You can follow me on Twitter. It's at the underscore just, and then that's J-U-S. Yeah, so just get me there. Cool, man. Uh, Have a nice Sunday, dude, and thanks for the chat. Thanks, Jan. You too. Have fun. (laughs) Okay, bye. See you, bye.